Hi, and welcome to the Willow Ridge Church Weekly Podcast. This is where you can find audio for our current and past sermons. We hope that you enjoy this week's installment, and be sure to check back next week to hear the latest message. Thanks for listening. Good morning. Thank you, Mike. Next week, you're doing the greeting. That's what we're doing, right? Come on, Polly. Please let him. There you go. Here's the good news, Mike. Everybody at home that's live streaming heard you, and and our microphones aren't working, but they got it, right? They got you. Thank you, bud. Uh, Hey, if you got your Bibles, open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. That's where we're going to be this morning. As you turn there, I want to kind of fill you guys in or, or remind you of some things going on. Now, I know uh, tonight is, is the Super Bowl. Um, just quick show of hands. Is there anyone who is like, I'm a passionate Los Angeles Rams fan? Anybody? Anybody who's like, man, the Cincinnati Bengals, that's my team. Fantastic. We got church tonight from four to six, all right? <laughs> All right, there we go. Yeah. So uh, we, uh, but also, and, and this is something new for you guys uh, to hear. Something we've got planned and, and going on. I'm really excited about this. Uh, over the last several months ago, God just began to lay on my heart uh, something that Aaron and I have had the opportunity to be a part of in, in our marriage, and, and these weekends have been really monumental in, in us uh, strengthening our marriage, working through some times and, and working through some difficult together when God has given us the opportunity to participate in marriage conferences or marriage retreats. And so I wanted to inform you guys that uh, we feel like God is leading us and was able to meet with our staff and and work through this. And and anyways, we're going to be doing a marriage conference here at Willow Church um, Friday, March 25th and Saturday, March 26th. And so we're going to host it here on our campus. We're going to use some of the resources that we have with Right Now Media. And we want to let you know this ahead of time so that you can begin to prepare to, to make plans uh, to be here with us uh, that, that, that evening and then that morning. Uh, the cost will be $20 uh, per person. And, and here's why I say $20 per person. It, it, it's a marriage conference. Um, and so couples to, to be able to be there. But I know that, that some of you in the context of, of your marriage, of where you're at right now, maybe your, your spouse is like, no, I'm not coming. Um, but you know the, the desperation that you need to have uh, to fight for your marriage. So I want to encourage you to be there. If you're a couple who's, who's dating, who's thinking, who's talking about marriage, if you're engaged, this is a wonderful opportunity for you to come and be a part of this weekend with us. Uh, Friday. Friday night, we're going to have a, a, a catered dinner that's going to be brought in that we can have that. And then Saturday morning, we'll have breakfast with some challenges for our couples to go out and, and, and to do that day. And I'm really excited just to see what the Lord is going to do. And so we're going to be selling uh, tickets to that this morning. Uh, Pastor Dave will be selling those. Uh, we'll be in the back, uh, from where I am, the back left-hand corner of the auditorium that, that he will be there. And so uh, please uh, make plans. Um, um, if you've got kids, this gives you plenty of time to get your, your sitters lined up to, to make grandparents aware so that, so that maybe they could take them off your hands for, for Friday night and Saturday morning and just looking forward to this wonderful opportunity. So if you feel like your marriage is healthy and good, so you don't need this, you're wrong, you do. 
And if you feel like your message, uh, your marriage is, is desperate and, and at a point, then you need this. I, I was talking to uh, a couple, and I've, I've used this illustration so many times in, in my own life, in my own marriage, but also as, as I sit and work through some things with, with married couples. If you think of your marriage like a home, and every marriage has complications, every marriage has problems, Every marriage has disagreements. If you say you don't have those, then I would argue that you don't have a marriage because that's what it's like when, when two people come together even when they seek to glorify God in all that they do. And I heard this, this illustration used, and I love it. And, and the pastor that was using it, he said, and, and what we do to maintain healthy marriages in the midst of the chaos is we treat problems like candles. A candle gets lit, a problem that's there. And we can make one of two choices. We can either address the problem and, and snuff it out, or we can ignore it and walk away. And he said, most couples don't address the problem, they ignore it. And then the next day, another candle's lit, the next day, another candle's lit, and then another candle, and another candle, and another candle. And then, eventually, so many candles are lit that the house catches on fire. And in that moment is when men and women say, now we need help for our marriage. And just to be honest with you, when you get to that point, oftentimes it's too late. And so maybe you're there and you're like, well, there's no big deals that are going on. Like we're, we're good. We're, we're, we got some stuff, yeah, that we need to work through, but we're, we're treading on. Then, then come here during this weekend and join us as we identify some candles and, and try to knock some of these candles out. Or maybe you're, you're there and you're like, man, the, the, the house is on fire then what I would say to you is don't wait till March 25th, right? Get with us and, and, and help us see what we can do to get some things under control and watch how God's going to bless your marriage through it. But I would just like to encourage you to, to be a part of this wonderful, wonderful weekend experience with us here at our church. All right, so as we're getting into 1 Corinthians chapter 5 this morning, I want to kind of draw some, some illustrations for us. Now, we know and we've used this that a church is a family. You and I, we are, we are family. We are, we are brothers and sisters in Christ, but, but we are a, a, a unique family. And just as we are a family, we, we use the, the illustration that a church is a unique family. So like, like my family and, and your family, uh, we, we, we have a dad, we have a mom, we have kids, and, and we have those similarities that, that are there. But then amongst my family and, and your family, we find that there's some individual unique characteristics that may ring true in, in my family, but that doesn't ring true in your family. And, and the, in the body of God, the, the, the church uh, is just like that. Right, like if we were to leave here, we, we have unique both strengths and weaknesses at Willow Ridge Church. And if we were to journey down the road to, to, to Red Bank Baptist, we would find that they have their own unique set of circumstances there as well. They have their own strengths and their own weaknesses. And if we were to pack up and head down to Lexington Baptist in downtown, we would find out that that rings true for them as well. We are all family, we are all body of Christ, but that within there, we, we find our unique set of characteristics, sometimes strengths and sometimes weaknesses. 
And as we go through and as we're, we're journeying through this, this letter of 1 Corinthians, it's so important for us to remember that this letter is written to a very unique family of Christ, the, the, the church at Corinth. And so as we, as we go through this, we're going to see some of their unique problems that they're facing and that Paul's walking through with them so that they can be the body that God's called them. And what we saw, I think, week number two, that, that, that God is equipping them to be. This is Paul's longing. This is Paul's desire for them. This is God's desire for them. And this is God's desire for us, that we be the church, we be the family that God has, has called us to be. Now, one problem that we've seen that's kind of woven through everything that we've looked at is, is there's this problem that's happened within where there's been divisions in the church at Corinth as they're arguing over who they follow. Remember, some are like, well, I follow Paul. Some are like, I follow Cephas. Some, I follow Apollos. And, and there's others that say, I follow Christ, meaning like a, like a higher sense of spirituality than, than others. So that's what we've been looking at largely over the last four weeks. Now, where we're going at over the next several weeks is, is, is more of the can of worms is going to be open. And we're going to see that there's even more struggles that are unique to the Corinthian church. And the reason why it's so important that we keep drawing the line that says these are unique to the Corinthian church is Paul's not addressing society as a whole. It's not what's wrong with Corinthian society. It's what's broken in the lives of men and women who claim to be followers of Jesus Christ. And so for us, if we're not careful, we can read week in and week out, but well, we don't have that struggle. I don't have that struggle. Check the box and move on. And so what we want to do is we want to draw from their struggles that they have, what are the battles, what are the issues that they're facing, and while we may not face that particular issue as well, what are the truths that, that we can draw from this as we seek to be the family of God that God has called us to be, all right? And so that's kind of the, the background of what we're going to see over the next several weeks as we work through 1 Corinthians. So let's look at this problem in 1 Corinthians 5, starting in verse 1, Paul writes and says, It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans. For a man has his father's wife, and you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. For though absent in body, I am present in spirit. And as if, if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. All right. So here in verse one, we are hit with one of these unique problems of what is happening and is what is taking place in the church of Corinth. Now, I've tried to fully wrap my brain around and understand this. And, and what I've come to, to understand in, in my study this week is there's lots of thoughts, there's lots of ideas, but there's very little consensus on what exactly the specific problem is. Now, Paul begins, we know that this is dealing with sexual immorality. And we could spend the next 10 weeks talking about sexual immorality. 
But then he goes in to, to describe this a, a little bit more. And, and what we see, basically what we can draw, what I believe is happening is that there is a son who is having a sexually immoral relationship with his stepmom. Now, that's a problem, right? It's an uncomfortable moment in here for this, right? And I'll be honest with you, it's a pretty difficult problem for you and I to immediately draw and, and relate to. I'm just guessing that when you showed up this morning with a list of struggles that you and I are facing, like this isn't cracking the top five, you know? But the main issue, let's, let, let's look at, at what Paul is, is, is talking about. Look, look back at verse one. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you. Among you. Body of believers. And a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans. Now, something to understand about the culture of Corinth, right? The culture of, of Corinth was completely, more times than not, tolerant of the sexual and moral behaviors that the church and that God's word would have been against. But even within this, he's like, it's a kind of behavior that's not even tolerated amongst the pagans. So is the issue that is at hand that a man in the church is having a relationship like this with his stepmom? Is this an issue? Yes, absolutely. I put in my notes with an exclamation point. This is wrong, this is sin, but what I would argue for us here in the context of, of where we are, the bigger issue is that the church is tolerating it, that the church is okay with it, that the church is as, as the body that's supposed to represent the, the, the truth of Jesus Christ is like, no, 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 we're just gonna ignore this for a second and we're gonna tolerate it. The, the issue is that there's a man who is in blatant, unrepented, continual sin, and he sees nothing wrong with it, and whether they're whispering about him behind his back, there's not the biblical confrontation that is happening so that he can have the opportunity to be addressed with his sin. And the church, in Paul's words, they tolerate it. Look back at verse, verse 2. Why would the church tolerate this? We know it's wrong. We know it's ungodly. We know it's not what God longs for and desires. Why would we tolerate it? Paul says, and you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. Paul says, are, are you, are, are you, your, your pride is preventing you from doing what needs to be done and which is mourning the sin that is rampant in the life of this man within your congregation and what you need to do is remove him. Now that's really uncomfortable in our culture, but it's biblical. 
And Paul says, when there's a man like this who claims to be a believer and is blatantly living in this sinful, sexual, immorality lifestyle that he has, you need to mourn over it and you need to remove him. And we're going to talk about that in in just a minute of of what this means and why Paul would call for his removal from the church. But, But here's what I want to understand. First, they're not even addressing it. And so why not? Paul tells us right here, pride prevents biblical confrontation. He says, and you are arrogant. It's all what comes back to their their lack of unity within the congregation of their church. And so here's something that I've been wrestling with this week and just pouring over is how does pride prevent me from addressing sin in the life of a believer? How does that prevent it? Now, now, because sometimes when we, when we see a lack of confrontation, now, now there, there are people in this world that, that, that are good at confrontation, and there are people in this world who are bad at confrontation, right? I would classify myself an area that God has growing me and, and desperately needs to continue to grow me is I'm not great at confrontation, right? I will not sleep for weeks when I know that I've got to deal with something like that, but God don't set me free from it. And so it's been, it's been an interesting journey this week to walk through this and to, and to ask the question, right, how does pride prevent me, how is pride preventing the church at Corinth from addressing sin in the life of a believer? And here's what I want us to understand about pride. Pride creates insecurity. Pride creates insecurity. I want you to think about this. If you're a person who struggles with pride, what do you continually have to do? You have to portray a false narrative of who you are so that others think you're better than you really are, right? That's what pride does. Well, let me tell you what I've done. Let me tell you what I've accomplished. Let me tell you who that I am. And deep down within that person that does that, there's this deep-rooted insecurities that are there to try to make us feel like we've got to prove that we are something beyond this. And when we understand that, we begin to see the specific behaviors in the life of people that prevent them from addressing sin because of pride. Here's four things that, that I see in my life and in the lives of others that when pride prevents us from addressing sin in the life of a believer. And number one, what prevents it is this. The question that comes to us, well, what if they address my sin? Right? You ever gone to call somebody out on something? And then what do they do? They turn it back on you. And what's our reaction? No, 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 this isn't about me. But, but no, 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 but it is, right? That's not a good feeling. That's, if you're a person who, who struggles with pride, what do you not want? You don't want to be called out yourself. But if you go and you know how confrontation plays out so many times, what happens over the course of this? Well, I'm going to address this with you, then you're going to address this with me. And pride prevents that. Number two. How does pride prevent addressing sin in the life of a believer? Number two, what if the relationship is broken? Right? What if the relationship is broken? And I get that's hard. That's hard. Well, I've got a friend. I've got a loved one. I've got someone that I care about, but I see this. And if I sit down and address this, if I draw the line of God's standard of what's right and what's wrong, if I call them out on the behavior, if I point them toward the consequences, that'll exist. What if the relationship is broken? And that's, that's pride. That's pride, and here's why that's pride. It seems like humility, and it's not. Here's why it's pride, all right? 
And this is something that's been big for me this week. Here's why it's pride. Because I'm determining that my relationship with them is more valuable than their relationship with the Lord. But what if they repent? What if they're broken? What if we see as we're going to see kind of sneaking into the next couple points, what if they see as the result of your confrontation with them that the relationship is broken and they're left to wander in the wilderness of their sin and what happens is their salvation? Right? Are we willing? What if the relationship is broken? Number, number three, how pride prevents us. What will others say? What will others say? All right. We can see how this narrative plays out. Can you believe what so-and-so put their nose in that's none of their business? I don't want that person in my life. Who are they to think that they can go to? Right? What will others say? Again, pride. What will others think about me? How will it affect others' expectations of me? And then number four. And I think this is where it hit the hardest. How it affects pride is this. When we're unwilling to, to, to address people for, because of their sin, we become the person who determines which sins do matter and which sins don't matter. And let's just be honest, you and I were never given the job description by God to define sin. He says, I got it covered, right? He says, I got it covered. And he's going to give us some examples of some things later on in this passage where it's like, and it's not just the sexually immoral that we need to address, but, but here's my standard. And if we decide as the ones that are supposed to be submitted to him, who are we to be that person? And this is where Paul finds that the church is broken. Not only divided in who they will follow, but unified in the acceptance of sin. Right? Here's the division that we accept, and here's the unity that we accept. And the unity that we accept is not centered around Christ, but it's centered around the, the acceptance of sin. Let's keep reading verse 4. Paul says this, he says, When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus... And my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus. You are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. That's a complicated couple of verses right there. And so to kind of spill over from three to four, Paul says, look, I'm going to come. I'm going to be here. And when I, when I get there, if you guys haven't dealt with the issue, I'm going to deal with it. And here's how I'm going to deal with it. Let's look back at verse 5 because what we're going to focus in on. You're delivered this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. So, so he says to the church, he says he's a believer. He says he's a follower of Christ. But yet in his life is not only blatant sin, but it's unrepented sin. It's important. Raise your hand if you're perfect. Good, right? All our hands are down. But the issue is not is there sin. 
The issue is, is there blatant, is there unrepented sin in a life of a person who claims to be a follower of Christ, who understands God's standard for his life? If so, break fellowship with him, Paul says. Break it. Send him out. Now, when he says deliver him, this man, to Satan, like, like, this isn't like find Satan, knock on the door, like here he is, do what you want to with him. What he's talking about right here is a break in the fellowship of the body. He's saying those of you who are the church and this man claims that he is, then, then break that because here's what he is going to have to face. He's going to have to face the consequences of his sin and specifically, he's going to have to face the consequences of sin in the spiritual realm. All right. There is a connection in our walk with the Lord and our connection in biblical community amongst one another. There is. There, there's a closeness that we can have, and the deeper we, this is for a whole nother message at a whole nother different time, but the deeper we dive into community together and seeking to glorify the Lord, the closer we are drawn to him. It's a beauty. It's why God gave us one another. And Paul says, stop protecting him. You've got to break this. Because a break from the body means he'll face this world alone without the love, without the support, without the encouragement from his church. It's time to break it. Because look where he says he's going. He's going out into the world that he doesn't even tolerate what he does. Right? So he's got a group that tolerates it. He's got a group that accepts it. He's got a group that just maybe probably whispers behind his back, but not addresses it. But even those on the outside are like, nah, bro, that's your stepmom, right? Releasing to it. Releasing to it. And watch what's going to happen. Paul says, discipline and remove him. So, but but here, here's the reason why. We talked about this, I think, last week, right? The potential result of discipline. Right? If you weren't here last week, we talked a little bit about this, that, that, that the goal of biblical discipline is not to punish. That, that's not the goal. It's not you did this, so here's what we get to do to you. Right? The, 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 the goal of church discipline, the, the goal of biblical confrontation is not for punishment, but it's for correction, to bring back, to, to have them in right standing before the Lord. And so what, we, what Paul lays out are some potential results of this discipline. If you stop protecting him, if, if you'll stop being the, the parents who are ignoring the destructive behaviors of their child that's destroying all of this around, then here's what God could do do, here's what would take place if you stop uh, protecting him, that yes, he will live in the consequences of his sin, full-blown the consequences. He faces the choices of this life without having the enabling behaviors of those who are close to him. When we protect people from discipline, that's what we do. We enable their poor decisions. And then Paul says this, and when he's left of that, when he's left for, for Satan no longer in protection of the body, but he can become broken for his sin, repent of his sin, and cry out to Jesus. Paul says when we release him, that this is what could take place, and the result of this church discipline could be his salvation. 
salvation. Paul says this is what we're holding him back from this opportunity. Stop trying to save him from the consequences of his sinful actions that he chooses and that God may use those consequences to bring him back to brokenness. The day that I got saved, the day that I got saved, my mother looked at me and released me. Go. Go do what you're going to do. Go be who you're going to be. It's not godly. It's not God's desire for you, but if that's what you want to do, go chase it and find the consequences that this world has for you. And I praise the Lord that before the sun went down, Jesus brought me to my knees, right? Stop trying. Let the consequence be there. Let the brokenness be there so that the hope might be that God uses all things, all things, all things. And so not disciplining him is hurting him, but it's also hurting the church. Look at verse 6. Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Not only in the life of the person does this need to take place, but it needs to happen in the church. And here's why sin must be removed. Paul uses an illustration here of, of leaven or, or yeast in the bread. And this can go all the way back uh, to the Passover and the Passover meal. We don't have the time to go into all that today. But the idea of, of leaven w w was used to, to signify sin. right? And Paul says to them, but, but you are now in Christ. You're unleavened. Meaning this, that when Christ saved you, he removed, spiritually speaking, the leaven from you. He removed the sin from you. He paid the price for that. But, but, but if you allow the, the leaven to exist in you and amongst you, what happens with yeast? It spreads. It grows it infiltrates and will infect the entire batch, the entire church. And so when this is allowed, what we think, what we can do is isolate it and think to ourselves, well, this is such a rare case. This is only them. We're just here to love them through this. But what happens is it begins to spread, maybe not through action, but through acceptance. Well, if this form of sexual immorality is allowed and accepted and okay, 
then my sexual morality may look different, act different, manifest itself differently. But if that's accepted, then this is too. And if this has been accepted beyond God's standard, then what about this and what about this and what about this and what about this and what about this? And eventually what appeared to be a little, what appeared to be manageable, begins to grow and grow and grow. To allow unrepentant sin to remain, church, is a gross misunderstanding of grace. Grace does not tolerate sin. Grace and truth are connected in one. And it does not tolerate sin. But instead, grace offers love and forgiveness for the person who is repentant of their sin. Right? We're not looking for perfection, but what we're looking for is the perfected Savior in the life of the believer. And Paul says when we accept this, it begins to spread and spread and spread. Let's close out with these last several verses. And it says, I wrote to you in my letter. Now, this was that, if you go all the back, remember week one, this is the first letter that we don't have access to that Paul had written to them already. Not to associate with sexually immoral people. So Paul's been dealing with this, right? Look at verse 10, though. Not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy and swindlers and idolaters. Since then, you would need to go out of the world. But now I am writing you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual morality or greed or is an idolater, a reviler, a drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? It is not those inside the church whom you are to judge. God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. What I want us to close in is in the context of this, of what it means to be living in the world. What it means to be living in the world. The standard that we hold ourselves to cannot be the standard we hold the world to. In a sad narrative of the church from Corinth, to today is let's be quick to point the finger of judgment of those outside while we ignore the sinful behaviors of those inside. It's so much easier to say how they're wrong, how they're ungodly, but yet we won't deal with what's happening amongst the body. And what we've seen, we know the narrative, is that all too often, unfortunately, is the church is a reflection of the world it finds itself in instead of being broken before the Lord. In the church, Paul says, the sexually immoral, the greedy, the idolater, the reviler, the drunkard, the swindler, those who claim faith in Christ, but this is who they are. They're unrepentant. They don't care. They're living in anarchy before the Lord. And who are you to bring them? We break from them. But those who were in the world who were like this, you know, the groups of people Jesus hung out with, we share, we proclaim, we befriend 
and hopes that we can share the gospel of Jesus Christ with them so that they can have the moment that we had to be broken for who we are in the desperate need of the Savior, right? We got discipline that we got to do in here within our family, within our individual families, and within ourselves. We need men and women of bold faith to be able to look at one another and say, it's not out of pride that I think that I've got this right, but it's in humility that I come before you, and whether you call me out, whether you walk away from me, no matter what the consequences that I might face, I'm desperately concerned with who you are and who you claim to be in Christ. And then maybe we need to set down our attitudes of judgment to those who would identify themselves as lost and say, we bring you into so that you can hear, so that you can respond to the gospel. When we see brokenness in the lives of the people in the world, may we understand that they are the mission, not the enemy. To go and make disciples. To go into lostness. But through here, it says iron sharpens iron. Addressing calling out, loving for the hope of correction, of repentance, and of unity with God. It's been a tough week. It's been a tough journey as we go through this. It's easy to read verse 1 and say, look at how terrible they are. It's a little bit harder to read 2 through 13 and find out how all the rest of those fingers point back at me. Would you pray with me? Lord, I thank you for the tough truth of your word. I thank you for the conviction that it brings. Lord, I thank you for the work that it's done in my life and hopefully in the lives of so many more. Not because of my words, not because of a small group conversation, because that which we teach, that which we proclaim is your word and the very word of God. Lord, may all that we do May all that we cling to be based in and rooted in love. May we understand the connection of grace and discipline. Or may we die to our sin. May we die to our pride and to be willing not to, not to simply call out to humiliate, to embarrass, or to punish someone who claims to be a brother and sister in Christ. But Lord, in hopes of correction, in hopes of repentance, in hopes of seeing them long to be broken before you so that you would be glorified in their life. Lord, may we be the messengers of hope into this world. 
would we carry the gospel to the least of these, to the outcasts, to the ones living in a, in a behavior that even our culture would say that we don't even tolerate this. But would we carry it? Not out of the hope that they would see that their behavior is wrong and simply make a moral and ethical decision in themselves, but that they would understand that they're a sinner and that the penalty of sin is death and judgment before you and you alone. And that Jesus is the only one, Lord. That Jesus is the only one who saves. Lord, I thank you that this week was not easy. I thank you that this week was complicated. Lord, I thank you that this week was messy. All for the sake of growing more in your likeness of who you've called us to be. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. We got prayer encouragers on either side of this auditorium. And here's what I think a lot of us do. We, we try to play hide and seek. We try to play hide and seek. We'll, we'll take our sin that we know is wrong, that we know is not what the Lord desires for us, and we justify it to ourselves and then try to file it away. We try to hide the things in darkness that they may not be drawn out the light. As we go into our time of, of response this morning, maybe you need to bring some things into the light. Whether that's before you and the Lord, or do you need someone to pray for you with the struggles that you're going through and the battles that you face. Or maybe you're the person this morning and you recognize that this journey of life that you've been on has been a fraud. I was a fraud for 22 years. 22 years. <laughs> and the sweet goodness of the brokenness where you decide you're not going to be a fraud anymore. But you just want to be repentant and broken before the Lord. And the beauty, the beauty of his salvation. Just respond to God this morning. Thanks again for listening to the Willow Ridge Church weekly podcast. We hope that you enjoyed listening to this week's message. If you'd like to learn more about who we are or explore additional resources, visit us online at www.willowridgechurch.com or by searching for Willow Ridge Church on Facebook and Instagram.